Are you a service-based business owner looking to increase profits to fund your lifestyle? Well, this podcast is for you. We bring you inspirational guests sharing actionable tips to solve many of the struggles you face each and every day. And now, over to your host, Paul Higgins. Hello to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you're our first-time listener, welcome. And if you enjoy it, please subscribe. If you're a regular, thanks for your support. Love to get your feedback at paul at buildlivegive.com. It means the world to me when you do. You are welcome to take notes, definitely take notes, but the interview will be fully transcribed as well, so you'll get full access to that. Now, our guest is someone who worked at a local radio station in LA and looked at people around and thought, you know, do I really want to do this in 10 years' time? Because most of them are 10 years older, of course. And he realized it was not for him. His dad gave him some sage advice, as dads always do, and he left the U.S. to learn Spanish in Guatemala. He came back for a couple of months in L.A. just to sort stuff before he was going to travel again. And, you know, lo and behold, he stayed for 13 years. He now helps creatives and entrepreneurs to streamline and secure their back office. So why listen to Josh? First is why you should have two-factor authenticity or authentication and why everybody should have it. Two is putting a filter in front of your email. Now, I've never heard of this, and he describes it so well, and I've already put it into action. And number three is how to educate your team on cyber in a fun way. That's right, cyber and fun in the same podcast. You definitely have to listen for that. They've kind of given a benchmark at the end as well. So now over to Josh Weiss from LA Creative Technologies. Welcome, Josh Weiss from LA Creative Technologies to the BLG podcast. Great to have you here, Josh. Hey, it's so great to be here. I've listened to a lot of your shows and really respect what you're doing, and, and I look forward to sharing with your community. Excellent. Well, I know we've had lots of great conversations, including the one leading up to uh, this interview. So on the same, and I think, you know, that what you do, so who you do it for and exactly what you do, which we'll cover more, is uh, so critical at a, at a time like now. So why don't we kick off with something that your family or friends know about you that we may not? Uh, that would probably be that for the 20 20- Plus years leading up to COVID, I have been a DJ, musician, event producer, uh, and was touring and DJing at music festivals, playing electronic remixes of Afro-Caribbean music. Very impressive. And what got you into that? You know, somewhere around the same time that I got into technology, I had a, had a group of friends who were... Interestingly enough, my, my primary mentor that got me into technology was also a very eclectic DJ. And somehow, you know, my, my dual passions had, uh, had, had a great opportunity to grow over the course of these last couple decades. Um, and when I was in college, I worked in college radio and my first real professional job out of college was a very, consultant-like job for an independent radio station in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and so just between the the right mentors that I had in my life and the opportunity to be, work in radio stations in addition to some record stores really provided me with a really early drive. And for the last 10 years, I uh, I co-founded a, a uh, 
music and arts collective in Los Angeles, which is called Subsuelo, which means underground in Spanish. And it's, it's always really what, what's kind of kept, kept me going in addition to, to my love for technology has been the ability to bring people together to dance. I mean, I think that's the part that I love most about it is to play music and to really have a, there's a really beautiful symbiotic relationship that happens when, when you're in front of a crowd playing music and when that crowd really responds in turn, it's just, it's one of those things that, as I've been reminded of many times uh, since this whole pandemic began, is, is, is a very special and, and hard to reproduce feeling. Great. And, and you know, the, you know, is there like a, a, a group of peers that you all know each other that sort of specialize in the same music or is it more diverse than that? You know, you know that's, that's actually a really awesome question. I think one of the things that has been so special about this, this last 10 year run since Subsuelo was started, um, is, is precisely what you just brought up. There's, there's a really vibrant scene for this music all over. Um, you know, for, for about five years, we went every summer to New York for something called the Latin Alternative Music Conference. Um, when I've gone to Germany, when I've gone to um, various places in South America, uh, we, we played at a music festival in Cuba, which was one of the first things to be opened up as, as, as the sanctions were lifted slightly. But yes, this, this scene is such a special part of what has made that being part of this music so special. And, and our place in Los Angeles has been to welcome others from all over the world to play. We've produced hundreds of events in Los Angeles. And that, that community is actually precisely what has been one of the, one of the sweetest parts of the whole thing. And for you know, us here at the moment listening, me here, what's the best way to go and find this style of music? You know, is it Spotify, YouTube, both? Um, yeah, you can, you can go, let me think about that for a second. I mean, first off our website, which is S U B S U E L O subsuelo.org is an interesting way to, to learn about us. Um, a lot of the music that we love is a little bit under the radar. So it, it shows up more on SoundCloud. I think what I'll do, Paul, is I'll send you some links to post yeah. with the, with the episode. Because Spotify can sometimes make some great playlists, but sometimes their algorithms are a little bit too, uh, I don't know, a little bit too commercial focused or a little bit too um, tunnel visioned <laughs> to, yeah. to be so interesting. But, you know, there, there's such a wealth of music out there and, and I'd love to share some with, with the listeners afterwards. Great. Well, we're going to dive further into your ideal client in a moment, but what got you started, you know, working for yourself? So I, after I worked at that radio station post-college, um, I, when I was 27 years old, I quit that job. I had a moment of looking around at, at all my coworkers who were all at least a decade older than me and thinking that no one here is actually what I want to be in 10 years. That was like a pretty a pretty special moment for me to just sort of, you know, not in an insulting way, but just in a, like, this is not where I'm, you know, this isn't what I'm growing towards. Um, and I had a moment, I know you, you have, you know, your podcast used to be called corporate escapees. And I had a moment talking to my father, uh, 
and, you know, telling him, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that if I leave this job, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. And he said to me, well, Josh, he said, think about the worst possible cases. You'll quit this job and, you know, you go do whatever you do next. And if in, if in six months or a year you want this job back, I bet you they'll give you the same job. <laughs> you know, he just, yeah. he just said, like, you know, like that would be your worst case is you would have to go back. And so anyway, I, I, I had that moment and I quit that job and I decided to move to Guatemala for a year because you can have full room and board and get 25 hours of one-on-one Spanish education for like, you know, back then it was like 120 bucks a week. And so, so my goal was to go to Guatemala for a month or two and then maybe put on a backpack and, and travel around South America and Central America. And I ended up staying put. I, I really liked where I went. It's a town called Quetzaltenango um, in Guatemala. It's in the highlands. So it's, it's more of a sort of cold San Francisco Bay weather than a tropical weather. And I ended up volunteering in some computer labs, teaching some computer classes, DJing a lot, and sort of for the first time in my life, not having any direct responsibilities and living on a, you know, like, like less than a thousand bucks a month. And I came back from that trip thinking I was going to stay in LA for two months. I put up some flyers, some clip art computer flyers around my mom's neighborhood saying I could remove viruses from computers or, you know, help with your iTunes library or whatever it was. And literally like I had the little tear offs on the bottom of the flyer, you know, call me. And this weird thing happened, which was that I never left again. And that was like, that was 13 years ago. And I ended up not leaving LA and I ended up starting a business. I ended up sort of becoming really interested in entrepreneurship and, and moving away from that, that light technical work that I was doing. Yeah. It's funny how life uh, takes its twists and, and turns. But if we move now into the build section, when someone says, Hey, Josh, you know, what do you do? How do you best answer that? So we secure and streamline creative and passion driven businesses. We're a, uh, we're an outsourced technical support team focused on cybersecurity and on this sort of technical strategy and, and streamlining that every organization needs, whether you have one, one employee or thousands. Um, and, and we focus specifically on, on creatives and passion driven businesses. I think you can probably tell already because of what, what my story is. Yes. And sort of what my network is. And so that that looks like people who are I mean, we've you know, there's one of the great things that happened during this pandemic is I have some clients where the decision makers are actually friends that I used to throw events with. Um, and so it's just, you know, as my as the the world that I work in um, is 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 a world that really needs to get help with their. You know, whether it's just getting help with the basic systems that they need to use in terms of like, hey, am I going to use Google or Microsoft for for my email? And how is my team going to going to communicate now that we're all in different places in the office and it's closed? Or how do we keep our, you know, a question that I hear a lot is now that my team is working outside of the office, how do we secure their Internet and, and secure their network so that our data is safe? And so we're working on things that I think were traditionally ignored 
in the creative spaces and often in the startup spaces um, and helping people to mature the uh, mature the back end of the way that their business is run from a technology perspective. Great. And, you know, what do you know about securing that back end that many others miss? Well, I, the first off is that it's actually important to do. And and that might be a little bit facetious, but it's, it's just incredible it, that people don't know what they don't know. And I think a lot of people have a perspective that hacking – like that, as we're recording this podcast today, there's a huge story that a, a security company that basically secures like the entire like U.S. government had a hack. And I think a lot of people look at that and they think, all right, well, the U.S. government is getting hacked or like Target and, and Home Depot are getting hacked. And that doesn't really apply to me, to my business. Right. And. So the first off is just that it doesn't matter if you're just running a music production nonprofit or if you're, you know, part of a, you know, just part of a new startup that, that's not dealing, you know, not dealing with medical records or not dealing exactly with people's personal records. But the fact is that we still need to actually keep things secure. And that's because security is very personal these days. And so when I give workshops um, about cybersecurity to educate staff of, of our clients about cybersecurity, I usually start those workshops, you know, by saying, obviously, I'm here today because your, you know, your boss, your company wants the wants the data that you work on in your day to day life to be more secure. But I say, hey, this relates to you and to your girlfriend or your wife, you know, or to your to your parents and to your kids. Like cybersecurity is essentially the security of how we do everything, especially during the pandemic. And one of the one of the jokes I like to tell is that a few months ago my 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 girlfriend was was in my office one day and she showed me her phone and said, Hey, why is your mom sending me a Facebook message with a weird video in it? And I said, please don't click on that. Right. Because someone had hacked my mom's Facebook and then they were just trying to send messages to everyone in her contacts group. Right. Which would then, which would have then ended up with my girlfriend getting hacked. And so I think the two biggest things to start off is that this really applies to everybody, even if you're not in a even either if you're not at a size where you feel particularly targeted or in an industry where you feel particularly targeted. This stuff is very relevant because, because you could end up losing a lot of money or having a lot of embarrassment or wasting a lot of time or having just some personal embarrassing things leaked onto the internet. Yeah, and look, you know, I've had a couple of cases, uh, one that really almost ended in, uh, in financial ruin was the you know somehow they hacked into my gmail account it was probably before well, before uh double authentic uh, authentication yes. yep. and they basically sent so they found out who my um, financial advisor was then they sent it to my team saying um you know paul's requested me for you to transfer i think it was about ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand uh, dollars to the account 
and, you know, it looked like um, and it was copying me, but they just put in one slight change in Gmail that if you looked at it, you wouldn't really see it. So they, you know, set up a fake Gmail account. Long story short, fortunately, that person called me and said, hey, is this you? And I said, no, it's not me. Stop. And, yeah, like, you know, I would have maybe never seen $20,000 again. So, you know, and, and I was running, you know, probably a 30-person business then. So, you know, like you said, wow. it, I didn't think I'd be the person that would be hacked, but I was. So let, let's use me as a, as a bit of an example for, for everyone listening. So, you know, I, I'm a bit, I come from a corporate background, so I know about, you know, I've got two-step and everything I do, et cetera. But, you know, my world is Google effectively is where I put all my eggs in, in, in that basket at the moment. I also use uh, Airtable for all my knowledge. I use Asana for all my project management and I use Copper for my sales CRM. So let's say that they're sort of the key ones and I use yep. LastPass yep. to sort of protect them. Now, am I, you know, a low risk, medium risk, high risk with you know, relying on those companies to keep my data safe through, like I said, a password manager and, and authentication. Well, so you're in a you're in a pretty good spot. You're you're a pretty solid medium risk because the first thing that you said, and and if you're listening right now, if you take one single thing from this interview we're doing today, go turn on two factor authentication for every single service that you use. I have a PDF we can link to when we're done that'll tell you how to do that for all the big services. So first off, right, you've got two-factor authentication. That's great. Um, one of the things that I recommend people to do is to have some sort of filter in front of your email. So when someone emails you, does that go directly into Gmail? Yes. So there's services, um, there's, uh, there's Proofpoint, there's Mimecast. These are essentially services that use artificial intelligence to um, filter the email that goes into your inbox, specifically looking for the signs of, um, of, of phishing, of people trying to do what that, that hacker did to you, right? So generally, the, the first things that we'll do is we'll get two-factor authentication turned on for every service that's in use. We will set up an email filter in front of Gmail or Microsoft to essentially not just be blocking spam, which Gmail does very well by default, but specifically looking for the signs of dangerous messages. Um, the next thing that we think is very important that fits into the, the type of cloud environment that you're talking about, Paul, is, um, and, and I don't know, I know you have you have some team outside of yourself, right? Yes. So how big is that team? Six direct, and then I work with a lot of um, specialists and experts. Perfect. I mean, I, and this is more relevant for the directs, but I, I would hope that you're doing some sort of cybersecurity education on an ongoing basis with that team. Um, and the way you know the what we do with our clients is we do a. I like to do a very like relatable human personal training first with the team. And, you know, I go through what I brought up earlier that like, Hey, like we're doing this for work, but this is very applicable to your personal life. But then what we do is we like to send continuous, um, what we call phishing tests 
to that team. And so what I do, I work with a product that actually reads your email and it uses artificial intelligence to write to you in the same way that that hacker wrote to you, Paul. So that if if you're the CFO, you might get a fake email that looks like it comes from Paul asking for a wire transfer. But it'll also look at your personal contacts and it might write to you as your wife requesting some information. So what I like to do, you know, the, the old way of doing that type of training was where you would get this fake message from Google asking you to reset your password or something like that. But the new tests that we use are really, um, they're looking at the way that social engineering works. Like how is it that a hacker is going to try to fool someone on your team into doing something you don't want them to do? And it's literally looking at the way that these specific people write and pretending to be them. So to me, you know, we protect the identity by two-factor authentication and password management. Um, We protect the email with the filtering service. And then we focus on employee education through live training and through sending these continuous messages to keep people on their toes. Because once people are worried that they're going to get caught, they're a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that's some of the ways that I would take someone like you who's already in a pretty good spot and help to improve that. Because, you know, it's not up to a company your size to try to host all your own data, right? There's no danger in using Google and Airtable and these services. Um, You know, certainly you'd have to be a a gigantic international conglomerate to want to protect data in that way. But for for you, it's about how do you keep people out of those services and how do you prevent your team from being tricked? Yeah, and, and, and I think it's, you know, definitely having, for me personally, it, it's making sure that we have repetitive tasks where we go and check who's got access to what as well. Because I know you can automate some access, but making sure, like, we've got a really solid offboarding process and the yes. offboarding has got a really good checklist of these are all the systems you need to go and check and 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 but we also have a secondary process of going back and getting someone sec not someone else to check that that actually happened so Thank uh, you know you. yeah so uh, yeah okay that's that's considered best practice yeah well that's really good um what I see is the following. We have those checklists as well, a very thorough onboarding and offboarding checklist to know who has access to what. Um, in addition to that, you know, what we, what we would build out for people who are slightly more security conscious is, you know, we really need a, a security management process. So not just double checking that that person had their access removed, but you really want to have a process either on a, either on a sort of like recurring, more automated basis, or at least as like a monthly process of who has logged in as an administrator this month, right? Who has logged in from where? Um, There's something called a SIM, S-I-E-M, security incident, um, the, I'm blanking, something management. But essentially, what you're looking for with the SIM is how can we take 
all of the, you know, tens of thousands of disparate actions that happen day to day in a company and look for the suspicious ones. So a SIM might tell you, hey, do you know that a new admin account was just added to your Google? Right. Probably not something that that you'd be happy about, Paul. Um, Definitely. A SIM, a SIM might tell you, did, did you know that Paul Higgins just logged in from Los Angeles, California during this podcast? You'd say, hey, wait a second. What, what's <laughs> what's Josh up to right now? Um, but, you know, a SIM is looking at, is there any, you know, does something not make sense? Or like if I have already um, disabled a user, why is that user logging in again? Right. So you're taking that really important process that you talked about, the offboarding and then double checking the offboarding work. You're turning that into an automated ongoing process of always looking for suspicious activities and doing your best to filter out the ones that can be ignored. Like you don't care if Paul Higgins logs in from Australia this morning from your house. That's not interesting data. No. But if Paul Higgins logged in from China today, you'd want to know about it. So, yeah. yeah so that's kind of moving up the stack. What, what we first talked about was that basic protection of a cloud environment. Then we start looking into keeping, you know, keeping the desktops safe so that nothing is downloaded onto any of the desktops, right? I mean, because, you know, the other major risk that happens these days, aside from the social engineering accounting hack that you talked about, is what's called ransomware. And ransomware is where, and you, like, we're seeing this happen a lot right now to the largest video game manufacturers. It happened to Canon, the the photo manufacturer, like it's happening to giant companies. Um, it happened to Foxconn two weeks ago, the ones who manufacture iPhones, where people will go in and steal all the data for a company. And they used to just hold it ransom. So if you didn't have to a backup, you'd have to pay to get it back. But now they hold it ransom and then they just threaten to leak all the data online unless you pay them. <laughs> And so, right, the other thing that we need to look at is how do we keep the laptops that our team is working on from various places in the world, how do we make sure that nothing is on those laptops that's going to allow data to get stolen? Um, and, um, and then how do we generate the security events um, that and when I say security event, hey, someone logged in. By the way, SIM security event incident management. That's what it stands for. Right. Um, so, you know, so we have a little tool that we install on laptops, which acts like the, the corporate firewall people used to have in their offices, which essentially allows us to say what is happening on this device. Is an admin account created when it shouldn't be there? Is the device communicating with networks with our which are suspicious right so by using this tool we can generate the events that a team can then sort through and see if anything relevant is coming out of there and so that's that's the other part of the equation is protecting the devices that people work on and then actually sorting through the information that their devices and their cloud tools are generating brilliant and, and look, I know in your LinkedIn profile you say that, you know, you like to take all the jargon out and, and talk, um, I suppose, 
in a language everyone can understand. And, and, and look, that's been absolutely fantastic what you've given me and I've taken notes and, and we'll definitely do some actions out of it. I just want to pivot for one sec. You know, I talked about my stack, which is a dispersed stack, so it's sort of best yeah. in breed. You know, yeah. we, you know, what's your view on that versus going, you know, into one integrated stack? Well, that's a... That's a really interesting thing. As you know, I told you before, I'm in the process of integrating more and more of our internal work at LA Creative onto the Microsoft stack. Um, and so just to talk a little bit more about what I mean by that, we were doing our, I, I have a globally dispersed team, as I know you do, Paul, and I'm sure many of the listeners do. I've got people in India, Philippines, um, and, and various parts of the United States. And so we, um, before the pandemic and, and, and throughout the pandemic, we used Slack for our daily communication. Um, we use Zoom for, um, you know, for having meetings with prospects and also for our weekly team meetings. Um, and we use Microsoft Office 365 for email contacts calendars. And we were using Dropbox for file storage and, there's a whole part of that stack I'm going to leave out that only has to do with the IT industry. Yes. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll leave that out because it's less interesting. But even there, we there's one kind of beast of a player like Microsoft that we everything else we use has to talk back to that. But um, And those four tools that I just brought up, we are in the process and are pretty much going to be done with the transition before the end of the year. Um, we're moving everything onto Microsoft 365. And I was always that guy who said, hey, I know everyone loves doing everything in Microsoft, but come on, like Zoom is just better. Yes. And like, you know, I realize there's all these cool things you can do with Microsoft Teams, which just, you know, but Slack is better for actually chatting throughout the day with your team. And, you know, I... I had this pivotal moment. There's a new vendor in the IT space who they were doing, you know, as part of their launch, they were looking for 50 of the 50 of the players that they know in, in the IT space who are innovative with their usage of tools. And I was happy that they invited me to be part of that. Well, I'm pretty active in the space and I work with a lot of the, of the vendors in the IT space to provide them advisory services. Yes. And I had this moment where his tool, I get on, I get on a meeting with this guy and he says, so what we've done is we've pivoted our tool only to work inside of Microsoft Teams because we interviewed 50 IT providers who are the most innovative with, you know, their usage of tools and 48 of them run their business out of Teams. <laughs> and that was actually like the nail in the coffin for me. I just thinking that 48 out of 50 of my peers, and we're talking people who run, you know, anywhere from, you know, million dollar businesses up into the 50 million probably. And they had all made this decision to use Teams. Yeah, look, it's a, a very interesting thing because we, we used to use a platform, uh, used to resell a platform called Podio. And Podio was sort of your all-in-one uh, tool. Now, you still used email, you still use calendar, but for everything else, you use Podio. And uh, long story short, we ended up breaking it then into best of breed rather than single. Yep. And, you know, that that 
that went well because not everyone, like there was people that loved Podio, but not everyone. And, and people would say, you know, there's this feature that it doesn't have, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it, it's really interesting. I'm sure, you know, like for me, you know, I, I try to convert people off Microsoft onto Google, <laughs> right? Because I, I still see Google as more of a corporate tool than a, uh, sorry, um, Microsoft as a corporate than a, in a small business. So it, it's very interesting. But I think personally, and and it's emotional, it's not fact-based that I just got so fed up with Microsoft when I was in corporate and just, you know, every time I went to load something, do something, it always brought up an error or a, <laughs> an update well, or whatever. So I threw, I threw PCs away and I threw Microsoft away and just went Apple and Google as sort of my two center pieces. And in, you know, almost 10 years, I've never had an issue. So, yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, so if you're listening to that, this is no right or wrong, but I do think that, you know, have a look at, at you know, using Microsoft as that as that go-to place as uh, Josh's, Josh's said. Well, I want to. Yeah, go for it, Josh. I mean, I want to say two things on that topic before we move somewhere else. And, and so one of them is I'm sure Microsoft has changed a lot since you were in corporate. Yes, um, but the second is that, you know, I'm not doing it because of those other people doing it, but it, it, it caused me to go back and look at what I might be able to gain by making the transition. And for me, you know, I run a lean team and my primary interest is how can I help design people's workflow to be as simple as possible in the company? So that if I'm going somewhere to communicate about a topic, I can also find the information that is relevant to that topic at the same time. And so for us personally, that is, that's where it is from a, from a productivity standpoint. And then there's the fact that from one admin panel, I can control the security of people's identity login, and that is going to control the safety of our data and our clients' data. So for me, it was productivity in workflow and sort of ease of security control. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, you know, I could sp- spend so much time talking to you further on this topic, but, you know, what um, I'll say to everyone is that you can find out more about Josh at LACreativeTechnologies.com and at the end, he's also got a transformation benchmark that we'll mention as well. But before we go into the live section, I'd like to talk about assessment to help for you to help out to work if you're going to have a high or low seven-figure business in 2021. Just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment and answer the 15 questions in three minutes. Based on your results, you'll either get a free 45-minute strategy call and you'll walk away with a clear plan. So it's not a sales call. It's actually a call to show you the gaps based on my 20 years of experience. And also, if you know, you, you've got most things covered and I can't help you, uh, where I can, I'll direct you. But more importantly, I'll give you the opportunity like Josh has had to uh, come on the show and uh, and share your success with others. Just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment today. So the next section is the live section. So what are some habits that make you successful, Josh? I would say the first habit that makes me successful is a um, is a drive towards authenticity. That's maybe not 
it's not exactly a habit, but it's a, it, it's a way of communicating. Um, and that for me is something that has really, I mean, I don't know, it, it's really sort of given me an, an incredible team to work with clients that really, really, really love working with me and my team. And it, it brings, it brings meaning into yeah. my work, right? I mean, I've, I've really, I've been looking at this year and, you know, like what are the most meaningful parts of this very, very challenging year that we've gone through with COVID? And for me, it's like, obviously the relationships that, you know, the, the sort of like increased authenticity in all of the business relationships that I have with my clients. And the fact that, you know, now that there's, now that social life is canceled, I spend my life with my team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I think, you know, it's, it's a huge uh, time saver because you're not trying to keep up with the things that you haven't been auth- authentic, uh, auth- you know, authentic in. Authentic. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that saves you a huge amount of time. And uh, I, I do think it's the same. Like we've had lots of clients that if you've done the right thing by people, they will pay you back in times of uh, in the really hard times. And I think, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of businesses drop off the face of the earth that didn't have that loyalty, didn't have that authenticity. And uh, well done for you and everyone else that's listening that has done that because it does pay you back. And and I think these difficult times in 2020 have uh, proven that. Uh, so the next is the give section. So what charity or community are you passionate about and why? Well, this has been a year for me. I've, I've helped uh, I've helped my girlfriend heal from cancer this year, and so what I've been looking at is um, that it, 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 it's interesting. Just today, we were actually looking at at some sort of personal GoFundMe's that we can assist um, for people who are going through it. For anyone who doesn't live in the United States, they don't really have healthcare here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I've been driven to the most, I think, rather than like a a charity per se is helping people who are going through difficult situations um, in their sort of personal healing by donating. And so it's become really about looking to the um, kind of like watching my, my social feed essentially and like seeing who needs help. Um, And then the other thing that that's very important from uh, living in Los Angeles is we have an incredible problem with uh, folks who have lost their homes, which is getting a lot, a lot worse in the pandemic. And so that's the other place that I really see it as important to be providing assistance is with people who are unhoused living in a living in a living in a society with a lot of wealth all around. But I, I, I go through this weird thing. I live in a pretty beautiful house and in a beautiful tree filled neighborhood. And I, I drive six minutes to work and I go through multiple homeless encampments. And so you go through this, like, you know, it's, it's like a science fiction movie kind of like moving through these like two completely different disparate worlds in less than 10 minutes. And so that's, that's the other place where I've seen it as really important to contribute. Yeah. Look, I've got so many clients or lots of clients in, California, in particular LA, that say a similar thing, and I just spoke to a new potential new client that said that as well. So, um, well done for you, not just driving by and doing nothing, but actually, you know, helping. And uh, yeah, I, I wish your girlfriend every every success in uh, in healing. 
And the charity that I put my book proceeds to and also a portion of my revenue is to the Purple House. Uh, so you can go to thepurplehouse.org.au and, you know, they help uh, Indigenous Australians get access to, to dialysis. And, uh, you know, having been on dialysis, having a transplant myself, I just know how difficult it is to be on dialysis and it's a great cause that does that. So the last section is the rapid fire section. So where I'll ask you some questions and get some rapid fire responses. So the first one is what are your top three personal effectiveness tips? Um, get a lot of sleep, delegate as much as possible and, um, automate everything. Brilliant. And, you know, you've given so many great uh, tools that we've talked about technology. What's one other central part of tech that you use that we haven't discussed? We haven't discussed. I am going to go with um, using Process Street to build checklists um, and being able to being able to have a tool that I can throw a checklist into that people are going to be able to reliably follow to get stuff done. Um, Excellent. Well, yeah, look, I bought that at an AppSumo deal and I still haven't used it. So <laughs> you've given me some I, encouragement to do it. Well, hey, I, I bought it on AppSumo and I've been using it for years. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go, the left and the right hand. Uh, what's your best source of new ideas? I guess I would, I guess it would be Feedly. I, I, I have a I have a blog reader. I, ever since Google killed Google Reader forever ago, I switched to a tool called Feedly, and I use Feedly to aggregate um, blogs. And it's a really good way. So I use Feedly um, a couple different ways. I you know, for my own IT industry, I have lots of news sources about IT and about cybersecurity that fall into Feedly, but also for all of the industries that we support. So we work for architects and we work for nonprofits. Uh, we work in the cannabis industry. Um, and so for those industries, I follow a lot of blogs in those industries so that I have at least like a good, you know, a good context in speaking to people in the industries that we support. Brilliant. Um, so so I use Feedly yeah, to gather yeah. info. Yeah, look, I've used that as well. I love a Feedly for a podcast, but anyway, that's another a discussion for another time. So the last question is the big question. I always leave it to the end for that for that reason. What impact do you want to leave on the world? Kindness. I just want to leave a a sense of of, of authentic kindness and generosity to those that I touch in the world. I think that's. I think that's at the base of all of it. Great. Well, look, that's definitely shone through in this interview and all my discussions with you. So, uh, Josh, speaking of kindness and authenticity and being authentic, he's actually given us a, a great resource or giving you a great resource. So if you go to digitalmaturitygroup.com forward slash digital transformation slash benchmark. Now, I know that's a lot. Obviously, we're going to have the link in the show notes. Yeah. But uh, what you'll get there is a transformation benchmark and uh, it's free and uh, you have already know what sort of person Josh is, so you know you're going to get plenty of value for that. So, Josh, great to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for all the work you're doing both on the stage and off the stage 
and uh, it was really great to get to know you uh, today. Hey, you too. It's really, really been a pleasure. Great, quick, great questions asked. Thanks, Josh. Great responses. Take care. Bye. There were some great actionable tips from Josh. I've already implemented them or got my team to help implement them. You can get the full transcription. It's fully transcribed show notes at Paul Higgins Mentoring for slash podcast. What is your biggest takeaway from Josh? Please share on your socials mentioning Josh and LA Creative Technologies. To find out more about Josh, go to his website at lacreativetechnologies.com. If you believe someone you know would benefit from the show, please share. They would love you for it. Fill out the assessment to know if you're going to have a high or a low seven-figure business in 2021. Just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment. Please take action to build, live, and give. Thanks for listening to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you like what you heard, please share it and leave us a review. It would mean the world to us.